0: It is here at last. The time has finally come and everything is now ready. All of heaven, all the angels, all the span of history has been in waiting just for this. For God to come just as he promised he would back in the beginning. But how would he come and what would it be like Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But on this night, heaven and earth held their breath. As silent as snow falling. As God himself, as a baby, turned one last time inside of his mother Mary. And there, in that little town of Bethlehem, In the city of david not in a palace amidst the crowds but in a stable among the animals he came god in human flesh born to us as a baby being held by the very hands that he himself had made Mary and Joseph are awestruck as they hold in their trembling hands the very Son of God, the Son King, who is the Father King's gift to the whole world, the very One who has come to rescue and free and redeem and restore us to the Father God Himself. Mary tenderly wraps this precious gift from God in cloth and lays him in a manger, and they give him the name that the angel told them, Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us, because, of course, he is. Now this same night, in amongst the stars, suddenly a bright new star appears of all the stars in the dark, vaulted heavens. This one blazes and shines brighter than the rest. It's a star unlike any other star in the sky because this day is unlike any other day in all of human history. And God the Father places this star above that stable, proudly announcing the birth of His Son shining like a spotlight down upon him, lighting up the darkness and showing people the way to him. Up on this hillside, there are shepherds. and They're in the open fields, warming themselves by a campfire, watching over their sheep. And all of a sudden, the darkness becomes as bright as the sun. And before them stands a big, blazing angel of the Lord. And this angel says to them, do not be afraid. I have not come to harm you, but to bring you good news of the greatest joy for all people everywhere. Today on this day in Bethlehem, the town of David, the savior, God's son has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, the promised one of God. Go. See for yourselves, he's in the stable, wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And then suddenly, in an instant, there are thousands of angels filling the sky. Heaven invades earth as troops of angels, armed in light, dance and shout and proclaim in unison the most beautiful song, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Over and over they sing this song in celebration and then just as suddenly as they appeared, they vanish. The shepherd's heart's inside them and they say to one another let us go to Bethlehem and see for ourselves what heaven has proclaimed here to us so they run off into the night filled with wonder and excitement through the streets of Bethlehem to a stable where they find Joseph and Mary and Jesus just as the angel said The Son of God has come, God with us, God for us. He is here, and nothing will ever be the same. A Savior has been born for you and for me and for everyone, everywhere. He is Christ the Lord, Emmanuel.
1: Guys, we've been talking a lot in this series about names and how names are more than just labels. There's more significance to our names than just labels. Um, names all have different connotations, don't they? We, we all know, uh, at least my generation growing up, we all kind of knew that, that certain names are jock names, right? They're, they're going to be the athlete's names. And, and if you name your kid Brock, he's going to be an athlete. It's just, it's just the way it is. It's just, that's just an athlete name. And, and there's some names that are kind of princessy names. I'm not going to name any of those because I don't want to offend the women here today. But there are just some names that sort of have a princessy connotation. You know what I mean by it? There are are other names uh, that people have that you just sort of naturally want to avoid. And it's not because there's any one name that you want to avoid, but you want to avoid it because you had some kind of a bad experience with someone growing up who had that particular name. And there are others who maybe give you kind of a sense, like a false sense of security because you had a positive experience with someone that had that name. So when you meet someone that has the name of, of the positive experience name that you had in your past, you kind of have this, this feeling of, of positivity when you meet that person. And we've also talked um, in, in one of Steve's sermons, we, we had slides up that showed people that, that really didn't think at all about the names of their kids. I think there was a Uh, there are some really crazy names um, really crazy names out there Uh, my favorite one uh, that I've heard uh, there was a, a woman who named her child Famali it was actually female she just said Famali pretty careless right guys but the reality is that, that even though the actual names um, sounded, um, sound funny to us or we have good or bad associations, what really matters is not the actual name of the person, but the character behind the name. When I was growing up, um, there were a number of times that I went to my parents and I, I, I basically just let them know that I wanted to change my name. A number of times I went to my parents and I just said, I really don't feel like Anil. Um, so I'd really like to change it. And, and I had my eye on a particular name, and it was in my family. It was my dad's name. Um, I, I just liked Thomas. It felt strong. It just felt, it felt certain. I just, I loved the sound of it. And, and it would have been my choice. It, it sounded good to me. But as I've gotten older, I realized what I really liked about it was not really the name or the sound or the spelling of it. What I really liked about it was that it represented who my dad was to me. It represented honesty and faithfulness and trustworthiness. He always did what he said he would do in my life. He was a great model to me. And I have to say, four Christmases post my dad's death, I still miss him and his trustworthiness and his faithfulness to me just as much as I did the very first Christmas in 2015. It wasn't until a number of years ago I decided to look up what my name actually means, Neil. And it actually means champion. And when I found out that it meant champion, I was kind of like, I think I'm going to keep that name. (laughs) And then what I really had to do was I had to step back and and, and ask a big question. What do I want that to mean in my life? Am I going to be the the heavyweight champion of the world? Absolutely not. What is it going to mean for me? And, and it just made sense to me that my name would, would, I was going to make this mean something. I had to choose what I meant, what, what I, how I was going to apply that part of my name. And, and here's just what it means for me. I am geared to be someone who fights for justice for the oppressed. I care for the poor. I lift up people with any strength God's given me so that they can also, they, they can also experience the justice of God. That's the best version of me, that, how I choose to apply that. To my name, What do you want your name to mean in this world? It's a question you're going to have to ask yourself and answer. Only you can do it. Today we're going to talk about one more name of Jesus. One more name. And we're going to start by turning to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah said this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. It's always important to have a little bit of background. So here it is. Uh, The prophet Isaiah was sharing in God's frustration with the king of Judah at the time. His name was King Ahaz. And Ahaz was known for, his name was basically this. Ahaz was synonymous with disbelief. And disbelief, God has some, some uh, patience with to a certain extent. And then he's just like, guys, I've shown you all of these things. How come you just won't follow? You just won't give your life to me? He kept trying to make his own way. How many of you guys have been like that in your lives? I know that I have. Many times I've tried to make my own way. And, and, and even at the point when God said to King Ahaz, I want you to ask me for a sign. God told King Ahaz, I want you to ask me for a sign. And Ahaz refused to do it. But he did it in a way that sounded religious and proper. And a lot of times I think we have that tendency too, that we cover up our unbelieving hearts with, we cloak it with religious language to make it look more proper. That's what King Ahaz did. And Isaiah told him that even though he refused to ask God for a sign, God was going to give him a sign anyway. <clears throat> do you know why? Because God will not be stopped by our unbelief. God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish in our lives and in this world, regardless of what we do or don't do. We serve an amazing God, he is tenacious and he is faithful. He is with us. God was determined to be present to his people. Even though, as Pastor Steve pointed out last week, we made our own bed of sin that separated us from God. Way back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. God still chose to be with us. And God's presence through his son is exactly what he promised us with the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Fast forward, guys, over 700 years. That's a whole lot of waiting. There's some things you're waiting for, too. God has made promises to you, and you feel like you've waited 700 years, but it might be seven months, it might be seven years. But God is faithful, and we see that through the promise that he made Isaiah, because it's fulfilled in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, and this is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, which was Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Is it any wonder when we hear about the character of Joseph that God would choose a man of that quality to be the earthly father of the Son of of God? Is it any wonder that? that he wanted to follow the law, he wanted to follow what he understood about God, but he also wanted to make sure not to, to disgrace Mary. He just wanted to do right in general. Can, is, it, is, it, is, it any, is it any wonder that God would choose a man of that reputation, of that quality of character to be the earthly father of his son? That just blows me away. It might take a long time, guys, but when God promises something, he will bring it to fulfillment. And it's not something that he has done. As you read the pages of the Bible, you're tempted to believe that, oh, that's what God did. It's what he has done, he is doing, and he will do again. Because we ultimately are waiting for the fulfillment of Advent. It's the second Advent when Jesus Christ returns in all glory and all power and every knee will bow. Oh, what a day that will be. He keeps his word. He will do it again. So, with the remainder of the time that we have together today, I, I want to talk about the final name of Jesus, Emmanuel. And we're going to break it up into two parts because to understand it, we have to dissect the name. And here is the first takeaway for today. And it's really simple for most of us, so be patient. It's that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Now, now, ultimately, uh, the first Christmas was an announcement to the world that God had come down to the people that he created. L- listen, I know for, for many of us here today, um, that's kind of commonplace. But we can never allow us ourselves to become too familiar feeling with, with that idea, this great truth. It is the core, it is the core belief of our practice, of, of the faith we practice. Let's not allow it to become so commonplace that it doesn't actually move our hearts. If you are not moved by the reality that God left heaven to come in the form of a man to be with us, to live his life among us, to die for our sins, and then to be raised again, then you need to cry out to the Lord and ask him for a new heart today because this is the greatest news that exists. There's no more important news than that God came down to earth. The the idea that God came to earth was a huge deal to the Jews uh, because God had literally been untouchable to, to humans for thousands of years. If they even, he, he let them know many times, if you even see my face, you will die in my presence. And all of our series in Hebrews that we did earlier this year was about the contrasting the old way with the new way, the old covenant with the new covenant. And and the old way is that that basically uh, we could have an uneasy peace, a temporary truce with God through a mediator who had to repeat the acts over and over and over again in order for us to be uh, okay with God for a time. But the new way is that God came to earth in the form of a man it was one and it was done it was all over after jesus came there was no need for any further sacrifice there was no need for striving or trying hard there was no need for burnout it was he did it he just finished it for us when jesus came to earth god with us This became the core dividing feature between Christianity, our faith, and every other faith. The divinity of Jesus. Everything we believe as Christians hinges on that fact, and everything falls apart if it's not true. Paul said that if that's not true, if Jesus did not die for us and was raised again, then every other thing that we say should be ignored. Jews believe that the Messiah has not come yet. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet pointing people to God, but that God is one and that Muhammad is the most significant prophet. And countless other religions and perspectives fall back on what I believe to be the biggest cop-out that anyone can say about Jesus is that he was a good man and a a great teacher, but that he wasn't God. Here's why I say that's the biggest cop-out of all. Would a good man lie about his identity and know that the fate of humanity rested on what they did with his claim? Absolutely not. Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote about that subject in Mere Christianity. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg. It's probably coming, you guys We get these ideas that it's okay for people to say, "Well, I'm glad that Jesus works for you, but I'm just not into that." But I would say this, there is either truth or there is untruth. And what side will you what side will you choose? Either Jesus is God or he is a fraud. I just have this overwhelming sense as I was preparing this message, this overwhelming sense, I just want to tell the world This is the sense that I had. Christmas isn't just for the people in this place that call themselves Christians. Christmas is not just for Christians, it's actually for the whole world. The whole world should be here. God's for you. He came to earth to be with you, not just to be with Christians. He came to be with you, He came to be with you who, who don't believe. He is for us and not against us. God is for uh, the kid that's scared to go to school on the school bus. God is also here for the bully. God is the God that is waiting for the Jews. He's waiting for Jews to believe that he is the one who is the Messiah. God is for the Muslims who pray five times a day. God is for Hindus who believe in 33 million gods. God is for Buddhists who believe that the pain of life comes from their desire and their attachments. And God is for atheists who spend an inordinate amount of time talking about the God they say doesn't exist. God is for all of us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they were all here? If we were God, we'd be angry. We'd be disenchanted. We'd write people off. But not our God. John 3.16 tells us about our God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. I want to make sure that you understand that Jesus isn't the kind of son who was born. Yes, Jesus was born in human form to Mary, but he always has been. He is the God who saw Abraham before Abraham was born. In John chapter 8, verses 56 through 59, Jesus identified himself with the title, I Am. All of the Jews of his time knew exactly what he was laying claim to. He was equating himself with the God in Exodus chapter 3, verse 17, who said, I Am. When they ask who sent you, say, I Am sent you. The everlasting God, the mighty God, the the, the Father of all sent you. I am. I am that I am. Jesus wanted there to be no room for us today to open gifts under the tree without recognizing that he was the greatest gift. Jesus is God with us. Here's the only other idea we're going to talk about today. Emmanuel demonstrates the importance of being with us. Emmanuel demonstrates the importance of being with us. Guys, we put a real premium in in our day and age on me time. Right? We do. We, we, We say that kind of thing all the time. I just need a little me time. And if we're being honest in our culture... We, we sometimes put me time um, at the expense of the relationships that are honestly the most important ones in our lives, the ones that God has given us to nurture. Uh, you guys have all heard the question before that if a tree falls in the forest but there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? You've heard that, right? I like this version better. If the one thing that that you have dreamed about all of your life happened to you tomorrow morning, and you didn't have anyone to share that with, would it even matter? The one thing, would it matter? If you got an A on that test, but there's no one around to tell, does it matter? If you got your best time in in the cross-country meet, but you went home to an empty house, would it be satisfying? Thank you. and that was right. (laughs) The world tells us to put ourselves first, but the Bible tells us a comprehensively different story than that. The Bible says things like this. In Romans 12, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Do you notice the with part? It doesn't say rejoice all on your own in your secret corner of your house. It says rejoice with those who rejoice. It means that when something good happens for someone else, you're supposed to join them in that and rejoice with them. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to do is be happy for someone else's successes and blessings. It also says mourn with those who mourn. Are you willing to sit with people in the deep parts, the dark nights of their soul? Are you willing to do that? God says things like this in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. In your relationships with one another, so we don't get to throw out our relationships, it's always with. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Boy, that's tough, isn't it? Really? Really? Can we do a little less than that? No, have the same mindset. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In other words, if God did it, you can do it. You can serve because he did. Jesus said in Luke 17:33 that if you look to save your own life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for His purpose, you'll find life and bigger life than you ever imagined. Because that's actually the life that you were looking for in the first place. Isn't that beautiful? It goes completely against what you feel, and sometimes we have to do that. We were made to be with others. It's how we learn to love. How can you love your brother if you are not with your brother? How can you care for your sister if you are not with your sister? We can't. We have to be together. It's the importance of God with us. That was the coolest sound ever. (laughs) When Jesus came to earth, he was modeling for us what he had always known. This perfect, healthy, whole interdependent relationship that he had with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was modeling that. He came to be with us and he wants us to have those relationships too. Now we we have relationships with each other, but we have all sorts of issues in our relationships because we're people. And we're born with sinful natures, but God wants to show us how to have healthy relationships even though we sin. And he expects us to live those out and he came to us even though we rejected him and he asked us to do the same he came to let us know that he doesn't want to just be here for us he wants wants to come and, and meet the whole world not just Christians he wants every single one of us to come home Steve and the band, could you guys uh, come on up again? The response is ultimately up to you because no one can make the decision of what you do with Jesus except for you. Your mom and dad can't make that decision. Your teachers in school can't make that decision. Not anyone but you. Very simple questions I have for you. What will you do with the God who left heaven to be with you? What will you do with him? Will you keep trying to find your own way and, and maybe, maybe you, this will be enough, church, to get, maybe have you come back at, at Easter or maybe even have you, you come back, if it sticks really well, next Christmas because you're like, man, I just I love the singing there and the, the lights were good, so I could go back to that. Are you gonna keep trying to, to make your own way I want to suggest a better way to you. Choose to follow the God who loved you through the person of Jesus Christ who came to be with us. We always want to be clear here at the edge that this isn't something that just happens because Jesus came to earth. You don't just automatically Receive the right of relationship because Jesus came to earth. There is nothing that you can do to be saved but respond. But you do have to respond. What will your response be? I want to encourage you to call on the Lord who saves. Zephaniah, it says, uh, the author Zephaniah says that, that, that God is with you and he is mighty to save. Ooh, what great names. Psalm 910 says that God will never reject those who call on Him. Maybe you're here and you're wondering, what, is it, what does it look like to call on the Lord? Uh, we see throughout Scripture that, that there was no exact formula for it. But, but, but the Apostle Peter laid out the most comprehensive full picture of what salvation looks like if you want to respond. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it shows that full picture of what it looks like. And it says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't wait on it. God is here. He is not angry with you. You haven't done anything that that puts you out of the, the, the grip of God's grace. You haven't done anything that has shocked him. You won't do anything tomorrow that will knock you out of his favor. He sacrificed his son for us once and for all. And he's invited you to come home. The door is open. The coffee is hot. Salvation is real, okay? There's nothing that you can do or will do that will knock you out of his grace. He came to earth to be with you. How will you respond?